Yes, here we go. Venture, it's great to see you today here in the room. I know it's summertime and we've got folks that are taking off on vacation, so I bet some of you are joining us online today. I'm grateful that you're with us as well. We are, like Kyle just said, launching a brand new sermon series. It's our summer sermon series called 316. Man, I don't know about you, but summer feels good. I just love this time of year. After the rain yesterday, Dawn and I sat outside on the back porch and just kind of took a deep breath and listened to the nature and felt the warm air, got a few bug bites on my leg. But I love summer. When I think about summer as a kid, man, I think about a good novel. My summer routine was to lose myself somewhere in nature and then lose myself somewhere with a good book. Usually I'd climb a tree or sit under a shade tree and I'd just jump into an adventure. One of my favorite series of adventure books is uh, they made a movie or two out of it. Perhaps you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. I read and reread those books over and over again when I was a kid. Uh, My favorite, or one of my favorites in that series, is the Prince Caspian book. I don't know if you've read that one, but there's this moment in Prince Caspian when Lucy, one of the main characters, inquisitive Lucy, she's having a conversation with Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure in that storyline. He's this lion Jesus figure. She hasn't seen Aslan for a while. She looks at him and she says, hey, Aslan, you're bigger. And he looks at her and he says, well, that's because you're older, little one. I recently went back and visited a space that I hadn't been to since I was a child. It actually felt smaller to me than I remembered. But there's something about that time warp. As you grow, things feel a little bit different. So she answered, It's not because you are. It's not because you are bigger. And he said, I am not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. Every year you grow, every year you're going to find me bigger. Your perception of me. This would be our, our desire. My desire for you, my desire for me as we dive into this series this summer. This is a discipleship journey. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more our hearts should grow and the more we should see of him in our lives. So we're going to lean in wholehearted toward that this summer. 316. When I say 316, if you've been around Jesus for any amount of time, my suspicion is you immediately have a verse that jumps to your mind. It's probably the same one that you see on a t-shirt, somebody underneath a touch. It's the touchdown verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And for my money, John 3.17 is just as good, maybe better. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. It's the gospel message just in a short verse or two. I love John 3.16. But we're not going to spend a lot of time with John 3.16 this summer. Memorize that one on your own. Rather, we're going to look at the totality of Scripture. There are some other 316s in your Bible that is good. What's good for us to lean into? Why? Well, through the totality of Scripture, through that lens. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, check this out. But the word of the Lord endures forever. God's been speaking to his people for a very long time now. 
And this is the word that was preached to you, Peter is saying to his audience. Therefore, rid yourselves of the malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, what else? Envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. Grow up in your salvation. Like Lucy talking with Aslan. The bigger you are, the bigger God should be in your life. The more you mature in your faith, the more of Jesus you need. We need to grow up in our faith, grow up in our salvation. We are leaning into that in a big way this summer. If you've got your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, do me a favor, grab it, pull it out, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. You guessed it. Verse 16, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Maybe you want to keep that Bible open on your lap or the app open on your phone. We're going to bounce all over chapter 3. Actually, if you want to follow along in those Bibles that are underneath the seat in front of you, I'm on page 270 of those Bibles. What we're doing as we go through the 316s of the Bible, we're going to start Old Testament and work our way into the New Testament. And uh, we're going to align each of these weeks, not just with a key verse, a 316 in your Bible, but with one of Venture's core values, the hills we choose to die on, so to speak. Part of the goal with this series is just to remind ourselves that these values aren't new. Venture went through this process a couple years ago, and we identified five core values that we, they're hills we choose to die on. But this is not new uh, to faith. These are timeless truths. We live by them just like our spiritual forefathers did. By the way, disunity is the mark of an immature believer. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't want disunity, so we want to lean into owning our core values. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you. And we keep reading. That you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's what we're aiming at. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. He's writing to say to the church in Corinth, I've been hearing these stories, these rumors. Chloe has kind of ratted you out. You're arguing. There's some disagreement. There's some frustration. And this is just kind of timeless, right? This is human nature. So it's so good as a church for us to every once in a while come back and say, listen, these are the hills we choose to die on. These are our core values. This is what's really valuable to us. And so we're doing that this summer. We're leaning in. Let me give you a sneak peek of what we're looking at. Venture's core values. Today we're looking at prayerful dependence on God. We're in 1 Samuel. Then we're working our way chronologically kind of through the Bible. We're starting in the Old Testament. Then we're working into the New Testament. Next week we're looking at genuine hospitality. Mark 3. You get it, verse 16. Then the next week, we're looking at biblical authority. The Bible is our guide. We choose to die on that hill, for, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. Then the next week, we're looking at uh, the, the value that we have of an outward-focused impact, and we're going to tease that out and talk about that. That's not John 3.16, 1 John. And then we're going to wrap it up in the last book of the Bible, 3.16, continued spiritual growth. Today, we're talking about our prayerful dependence on God. Now, when I even say that out loud, a prayerful dependence on God, every one of the words in that core value is carefully chosen. 
And it, it kind of telegraphs something, doesn't it? It telegraphs to me at least a couple of things. First of all, it telegraphs a call to surrendered living, dependence on God. And as we talk about this today, as we unpack it in the Old Testament, I would invite you to just kind of do some introspection. Are you really living that way? Are you living with a prayerful dependence on God? There's a word in your New Testament that betrays this idea. Many, many, many people call Jesus that word. The word is Lord. Lord. This means you're the boss. This is surrendered living. This is a prayerful dependence on God. Lord. Oftentimes people refer to him as the Lord. I hesitate to even mention this um, because fans of the Big Ten, some of us root for them, some of us root almost against them. But there's a, there, there's a university a couple hundred miles to the east of here. Uh, it was in the news this past week. Perhaps you saw this. There's a picture of their student union kind of from the above. The Ohio State University. They trademarked the definite article, the, this past week. They've been kind of tongue-in-cheek with that for years, but the news came out this week that they're serious about that. The Ohio State University. I begrudgingly respect that. Begrudgingly, I lived in Bloomington for five years, and when the sea of the other red team came to town, I begrudgingly, I respect that. That's kind of their declaring. We are the Ohio State University. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, you're saying, you're the Lord. This is surrendered living, prayerful dependence on God. The other thing I see in that statement, in that phrase, is a call to prayer. As you're dependent upon God, have you opened up the line of, of communication with him? Are you dependent on him? He's talking to you. You're talking to him. The story we're going to look at today, it teases this idea out a bit. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 16. Here it is. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. This was a term of endearment. It wasn't his actual son, but kind of like an adopted son in the faith. Samuel answered, here I am. There are three main characters in the cast of characters we see in this verse. First of all, you, you have Eli. Eli is a priest that is serving in the tabernacle. This is pre-temple, the tabernacle of God. And he's brought this young man named Samuel in to work with him, kind of understudy, shadow him, see how to do the work here for God. Samuel is the other character. Then the third Third is God himself. We don't see him explicitly in this verse, but he's all through chapter 3. Actually, the whole thing kind of begins and ends with him. I want to dive in on this story. We're going to go back to the future if we can. That's a summer blockbuster from my childhood. My kids and I were talking this past week. How many of you saw Top Gun? Have you seen that? Man, that's a throwback to my childhood as well. Have you seen the Buzz Lightyear movie that's out? Some of you seen that? My kids were kind of looking at that with nostalgia. That's reliving their childhood before they're, some of them even out of their childhood. But I'm excited about that. But Back to the Future, how many of you have seen all three of those movies? Back to the Future, yeah, classics. Do you ever get, when you're watching those movies, get lost in the timeline just a little bit? 
I do. Wait, where are we? Are we in the 50s? Are we in the future? Where are we right now? Well, I want to set today's story in context, if I can, because we've been in the Old Testament for a while. Let me put up this chart. For the last several weeks, we did our chasing series through Ecclesiastes. We were listening to the teacher. In my opinion, this is Solomon. Solomon, this would be uh, this era right here, the United Kingdom, about 1,000 B.C., Last week, Father's Day, we went back in time just a little bit. We looked at Solomon's daddy, King David. Today, we're going back in time even a little bit more into the era of the judges. And Samuel is a judge. And Samuel is actually the one that God uses to call King David to the kingship. Do you see what we're doing? We're kind of going back in time. And then we're coming back to the future. All right. Samuel was the son of Hannah who desired a son very badly and prayed to the Lord for him. And then the Lord responded affirmatively and gave Hannah a precious baby boy. And Hannah was so grateful that she dedicated Samuel for a lifetime to work in the service for God. So Samuel went to live with the priest. You already met him, Eli, to learn from him. And one of the crucial things that Eli taught Samuel was how to listen when God calls Prayerful dependence on God, you have to be keyed in to hear him and to recognize his voice. Now, the front page of the time in 1 Samuel chapter 3 is discouraging. It's bleak. This is back before newspapers happened. We live post-newspapers, right? But if there were newspapers during this era, this is what it would read. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Well, actually... We read this in the text. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Let's read it. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Josephus, a first century historian, says that Samuel, I don't know how he knew this. This would have been about 1,000 years later. But he, in one of his commentaries, says that Samuel was probably about 12 years old when he was in this service. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There's our headline. There's something in that phrase that's terrifying. We're going to unpack that. There were not many visions. We're not seeing and hearing from God. Well, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak. I love the storytelling here in Scripture. This is a beautiful story, and the devil sometimes is in the details. We get this picture that Eli is getting old. And his eyes don't work so well back in the days before optometrists so that he could barely see. And he was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. This is a lamp that burns continually in the tabernacle and it's signifying some things. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, this is the tabernacle. He's right there in the space where God lives where the Ark of the Covenant of God was. The ancient Hebrews believed that God himself dwelled between the wings of the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Then the Lord called Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare. They weren't hearing from God. But God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. Then he gets all kinds of confused. He ran to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me, right? That was you? Your voice sounded a little bit different than I recall, but that was you, right? And Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and he laid down. The story keeps going. 
He basically is laying there, and he hears two more times, hey, Samuel, actually, his name. He hears his name being spoken out loud. And he keeps going back, and by the third time that Samuel goes to Eli's bedside, Eli finally comes to the realization that, hey, this is God that's calling to you, Samuel. So he told Samuel, if he hears the voice again, say, well, Let's read it. Skip down to verse 9. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls to you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I have ears to hear. Lay it on me. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And the Lord did call again, and Samuel replied that he was listening. Then the Lord confided in Samuel that he was going to do a shocking thing. He warned that judgment was coming to Eli and his family because Eli's sons, you talk about a couple crazy names, Hophni and Phinehas. Phinehas and Ferb, any of you parents have little kids? I think that's where that name came from. But these two silly named boys were adult men, and they had been blaspheming God. You can read about their sins. Some of them are pretty explicit sexual sins, defiling the tabernacle. You can read about that a chapter before in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli has not corrected his boys. And God is saying, there's a judgment on this. Samuel has to speak the truth in love to his mentor. The next morning, Samuel was understandably afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said, but Eli insisted, so Samuel told him everything. Here's our 3.16. Let's start in verse 15. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? I want to hear it. Give it to me straight. Don't hide anything from me. May God, as a matter of fact, may God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, including that judgment part on Eli. God's not going to use him in that significant way anymore because of the way he's been neglecting his duties as a dad. And he told him, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, well, he's the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Boy, that's lordship right there, right? The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. I love that phrase. None of his words fall to the ground. I don't know if you have ever parented teens. But there are times when I feel like I'm talking, and I might as well just turn around and talk to the wall because my words just seem like they're falling to the ground. Maybe you can relate to that. I love that phrase in the Bible. None of Samuel's words fall to the ground. They hear it. They hit the audience. There's communication that's taking place there. By the way, Samuel's words in this context, these are God's words. Because Samuel is a prophet of God, and God is speaking through him, and the words are hitting home the destination they're aimed at. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. This is a geographical distinction. The north part of the country to the southern part of the country, Dan to Beersheba. But it's more than just geography. It's more than just saying from Fort Wayne or from Goshen or from South Bend to Louisville. It's saying, listen, from the place that our forefather Abraham spent some time in, Dan, Laish, all the way down to Beersheba, where he made a covenant before God. 
That space that God promised our forefather Abraham, the, the space that you're living in right now, the fulfillment of the promise. Here's what we're aiming at, recognizing that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. God is speaking through his prophets. A couple of thoughts here. Eli didn't get angry with Samuel. He, he humbly submitted to the Lord's discipline. And because of his obedience, Samuel became, began a lifelong relationship with God. God used him in a powerful way to speak to his people. Speak, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm ready to listen. By the way, this is a great reply to hearing God speak that all of us could respond with. Prayerful dependence on God. The text we just read reminds me that prayer is simply talking to God. How is your prayer life? Is there an open line of communication between you and your Father in heaven? Prayer is simply talking to God. And by the way, it's also listening to him. It's not just doing the talking. It's doing active listening as well toward that end. I want to share with you with the time we have today, I want to share with you four words that we can lean into for prayerful dependence on God that we pull straight from this text. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write these down. The number one uh, word is this. It's the word listening. We have to learn to hear. Listening to hear the voice of God. And learning to distinguish the voice of God. Samuel did not know God's voice was actually God's voice at first. He had to learn it. It takes some time to learn what it is. And when it isn't God's voice. Listen, when you invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you gain the ability to hear from God, but you have to learn how to discern a clear message. This can often take time and it can take practice. We might even mishear a few things at first. There's a couple of truths on listening. First of all, it's this. The Lord's silence is horrifying. This is a big deal in this text. You can't miss it. The Lord had withheld his word as a sign of his displeasure. We see this happening throughout Scripture. Actually, going back to the future, let's skip ahead in the timeline. Look in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the word of the Lord, but they cannot and they will not find it. That's a terrifying thought. By the way, Amos is written after 1 Samuel, but there were similar admonitions. There were similar, similar cautions coming from God before that, and they were kind of under this, listen, I told you, I told you I would withhold my voice from your hearing. This is the most frightening kind of famine, Right? It's just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is terrifying to not hear God's voice. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. But here in this story, the Lord speaks. The Lord is breaking his silence, and this is big. This is really good news. We saw this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. 
And his words are used to encourage. His words are used to challenge. His words are used to edify the people of God. And God is speaking through Samuel and the people are listening. How about, how about today? Are you hearing? Are you hearing from God? Because the second observation about listening is here's the deal. The Lord does speak. The Lord does speak. He speaks differently today. Maybe not through Samuel, but he does speak. The Reformers, about 500 years ago, the last time, and I would argue that our culture right now might be going through a massive transition as we go from modern to postmodern. About 500 years ago, there was another yard sale where the whole thing was kind of tossed around and turned up. And the Reformers, which is kind of where our church would find its beginnings back about 500 years ago, they used to have this saying, post tenebras lux. That is, after darkness, light. They were saying, listen, we've not been hearing from God, and actually maybe the the church had been even corrupting some of the word of God that would land on the ears of God's people. But this phrase, after darkness, light. After silence, the Lord Yahweh in the Old Testament here speaks. I love this quote. I've been studying a fair amount of the Gospel Coalition here recently. A couple of the folks in that movement said this, if contemporary believers have a church where social activities, committee meetings, and nifty programs have not eclipsed the place of the Word of God, if the teaching of the Word of God stands at the heart of the church's life, if there's a pulpit ministry where the Scriptures are clearly, accurately, and helpfully preached, then they are rich in the grace of God. And this is what we desire. This is we want what we want, the grace of God. We want to lean into His grace. We want to hear His voice. Well, we need to be opening up the Bible and speaking truth as loudly and as clearly as we can because the Lord does, in fact, speak. This is my prayer for our church. We have a core value of biblical authority. We're going to lean into that in a few weeks. I don't want to spoil that right now. But we believe that God speaks loudly and clearly today through the words of the Bible. And we have to lean into that because we want to hear from him. Maybe you have a hard time hearing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you have hearing aids because you might not hear me ask you to do that anyway. I have tinnitus in my left ear. I can pinpoint the exact time it happened. It was something stupid. I had a loud noise go off in my ear. And it bugs me to no end when there's something messing with my hearing. Swimmer's ear, maybe some of you wrestle with that. Whenever I get waterlogged in my ear, if you ever watch Seinfeld, I feel like Kramer jumping around on one foot because I can't stand that. I want to get that out of my ear. Sometimes the problem is not that the word is not being spoken. But the problem sometimes is in the hearing. Some people don't have ears to hear. Mark chapter 4 verse 9 says this, Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Listening is a big deal. Listen, we have the Bible, but I think sometimes we suffer from spiritual deafness. The worries of the world have come and choked out the word of God in our lives, and the hardened hearts and the deaf ears have hindered the receiving of what's right here before us. Starvation may not come from the absence of food, but from a lack of appetite. How is your appetite? Are you listening for the word of God? Here's the second word. As we think about prayerful dependence on God, the second word is patience. Why? 
Because God is patient. Three times he calls to Samuel. Still small voice in the middle of the night, and then twice he calls him by name. But three times he reaches out, God is patient. This is the character of God fully on display. I don't know about you, but I wrestle with patience sometimes. It's supposed to be a virtue. Sometimes in my life it's in short supply. I like this quote again from the Gospel Coalition. I found this this past week. God is, isn't exasperated and short-tempered. He's not ready to lighten to Samuel for being so slow. He doesn't launch into a tirade about how Samuel never gets anything right. Dads, sometimes we wrestle with going a little bit too far in that regard. But the Lord is patient with Samuel, and he's similarly patient with us as well. Jesus picks up on this theme. Matthew chapter 11, he says, Clearly come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He has patience, and he's patiently pursuing you. Maybe, maybe all you need to do is turn around and receive him well. Number three, word. Coachability. He wants us to be coachable. He wants us to do what he's told us to do. Remember? Prayerful dependence on God. The Lord of our life wants us, when he tells us to jump, he wants us to ask how high on the way up. He wants us to be coachable. Are you coachable by God? Are you listening? Are you responding? There's this tension in God's word. Here's the deal. God comforts the afflicted, and oftentimes we read in scripture, he afflicts the comfortable. I love that phrase. He comforts the afflicted, and he afflicts the the comfortable. Where are you on that equation right now? Where does God need to speak to you through his word? Are you comfortable, and you need to be nudged a little bit? You need to be afflicted? Or is your life falling apart right now? You're feeling afflicted. and Well, God, through his word, he can do both. It's a double-edged sword. He's got both in his capacity. And I wonder, we have the word of God, it comforts and it calms, and yet maybe we're more focused on the news and Facebook. The word of God isn't rare today, but our hunger for it might very well be. God has spoken. He spoke to us through his son. Hebrews says it this way, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That was true 2,000 years ago when that was written. It's still true today. That's as direct as it gets. But I wonder. I wonder if sometimes we just get maybe a little bit bored or we start to take for granted what he has done Oh, God, may our hunger for your word, our hunger for your Bible be unmatched by our desire for anything else. Are you coachable by God's word? I went several years ago, four years ago, five years ago maybe, took our whole family to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, then we drove up through the Grand Tetons into Yellowstone National Park. 
you've been watching the news, maybe you've seen mudslides and the horrible things that have been going on there the last couple of weeks. And uh, that's an amazing landscape. It's absolutely beautiful. I wish I could show you the video. We're at Old Faithful. And there's like, I don't know, felt like a thousand people waiting to watch this amazing thing happen. And I've got my phone out and I'm recording. And one of my kids, I'm not going to tell you which because I don't have permission to share this. But this child, I love this young teen heart on display. Everybody's looking this way, watching. And this child jumps up and... A couple of weeks ago, John made some comment during a great sermon, but he kind of maybe got, his words got jumbled up, and he said something about twerking birds. If you weren't at the 11 o'clock service, you missed that. I, I don't know what dance this is. Uh, I think it's called the floss, and I've never been able to protect, perfect it. But this child, he's just doing this, and everybody's watching, and he's just smiling and having a great time, and I got the whole thing on video. I can't show you that one, but I can show you the video right after that. It's this. Old Faithful, this geyser just exploding. And you can see that there's a whole group of people there watching this phenomenon ready to happen. I read a book years ago. Uh, Phil Yancey wrote this book. He's basically making the statement, it, the problem might not be that God's not faithful, or that God's not showing up in your life, or you're not hearing from God. The problem might be that he's too faithful. And you've grown complacent. And by illustration, he talks about this moment. He and his wife were at Yellowstone. He said, I remember my first visit to Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park. Rings of Japanese and German tourists surrounded the geyser. Their video cameras trained like weapons on the famous hole in the ground. A large digital clock stood beside the spot predicting 24 minutes before the eruption. It's amazing. They've got this sucker timed. My wife and I passed the countdown in the dining room of Old Faithful Inn overlooking the geyser. When the digital clock reached one minute, we, along with every other diner, left our seats and rushed to the windows to see the big, wet event. I noticed immediately, as if on signal, a crew of busboys and waiters descended on the tables to refill water glasses and clear away dirty dishes. When the geyser went off, we tourists oohed and odd and clicked our cameras. A few spontaneously applauded. But glancing back over my shoulder, I saw that not a single waiter or busboy, not even those who had finished their chores, looked out the huge windows. Old Faithful, grown entirely too familiar, had lost its power to impress them. I wonder... I wonder if some of the reason why maybe, maybe, maybe we're not hearing from God today is because we've grown fairly, fairly familiar. Familiarity can breed contempt or worse, complacency. This past week I was studying literally on this message and I looked over at the rows of Bibles that are on my shelves in my office. I've got a Bible of every shape and size. I bet some of you do as well. I've got old Bibles. I've got new Bibles. I've got a life application Bible, a bunch of them. I've got study Bibles. I've got archaeological study Bibles. I've got men's Bibles, women's Bibles. I've got life recovery Bibles. I've got Bibles that are geared at emotional health, and I could go on and on and on. My problem is not access. My problem, and I suspect yours, is complacency. Are you like the people in Samuel's day finding your headline reading, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare? 
It might be not because he's not talking. It might be because you're not listening. Prayerful dependence on God. If you're not feeling that dependence, you might need to open up your lines of communication through Bible study and prayer and then rinse and repeat Bible study and prayer, Bible study and and prayer. So what of God? What of God today are you taking for granted? Another way to ask that question, are you coachable? Are you following what he said Are you doing it? Do you even know what he said? Do you need to lean in more to listen to what he's calling you to do? Good. When you do that, that yields obedience. Listening, patience, coachability, obedience. Obedience follows listening. When we do hear from God like Samuel, we have to go and do what he's told us to do. And Samuel did that, right? Even the hard truth. Can you imagine being 12 years old and having to speak to your mentor those hard words? God's taking his blessing away from you. He told you he was going to do it, and he's telling me now he meant what he said. Can you imagine the guts that it took to stand up and to say that and to repeat it? Obedience. Hey. Don't let the loud noises of the world drown out God's voice in your life. Be still and listen for his voice. Just as God calls Samuel, he speaks to us in many ways today as well. God whispers things to a willing heart, and as long as the things we hear don't contradict Scripture, we might be hearing directly from God. The more we're in a relationship with God, by the way, the more we're going to hear his voice. What do we start with? Aslan Speaking to young Lucy, for every year you grow, you're going to find me bigger. I feel like um, maybe I've been hearing God's voice this week. I'm careful with that phrase. It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? The news cycle I know that some of us in this space, we're feeling elation. We love the news that we've heard over the last few days, and I'm, I'm with you. My goodness, I, I was born in 1974. I was born into a post-Roe v. Wade world, and that truth doesn't escape me. When I was in college, I, I joined a group called Imago Dei, which is Latin means in the image of God. It was a, an anti-abortion group on campus. My whole life, well... I'm, I'm whole life, right? Whole, I have a whole life ethic. From the womb to the tomb, I believe that God, God values life. That hasn't changed. Perhaps you saw my social media post this past week. I referenced uh, a book of the Bible that kind of was where the rubber meets the road. In James chapter 1, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James chapter 1, verse 22, if you skip just a verse or two down, says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I know that many of us in this room were celebrating what's happened this past week, and that's great. My goodness, we've been praying for that for a lifetime. 
At least I have. But can I encourage you through the totality of Scripture? Be careful. Be winsome with your words. Gloating has never pointed anyone toward Jesus. And in our polarized culture right now, oh, be so careful. I don't know if you've noticed, but about 50% of our culture is up in arms right now and stirred and frustrated. And Man, through a Jesus lens, how do we love well? That's the question. And the value, this is where core values, they should drive who we are and what we do. And I've been thinking about this idea of a prayerful dependence upon God. And I want to end there today. Would you stand up with me? As you do that, I suspect you know somebody inside your sphere of influence that's feeling something this week. Hurt, anger, frustration, nervousness, worry. I don't know, but you'd put it in a category of negative. What they're feeling is hurt. Would you think of them right now? Would you picture them? Would you ask God to bring them to your mind's eye and just kind of hold a picture of them in your head through the totality of Scripture, a prayerful dependence upon God? We want to do the the totality of Scripture, which includes we want to have hearts that reach people who are far from God. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but about a half of our culture right now is stirring on that. Be so careful as you celebrate. Also be winsome. And let's have prayerful dependence on God right now. That's how we're going to land the plane. I'm going to invite you to pray for that person that you're picturing right now. And I'm going to pray for all of us as we leave this space today and we head out into our mission field to live our lives on display for God and for everybody else that seeks to see him through us. May we model prayerful dependence on God. Let's start it right now. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to open up your Bible and to be encouraged and challenged by you. So God, I pray as we leave this space, go before us. We seek to follow as you lead. And we pray for our culture. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our coworkers. We pray for family members who are far from you, our God, and we desire nothing more than to see them in right relationship with you. And if, you, if there's anything in us that you would use toward that end, we desire to be open vessels. It's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.